Welcome to Equinox, where Rob and I are striking the balance between the light and the dark. This is episode 47. My name is Joseph Darnell, and I'm joined by the one doctor on the show, Rob Carter. Hello, Rob. Hello, Joe. How you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Studying about bees, getting ready for this episode. There's no way we're going to get through everything I wrote down on the outline, but oh. that's part of the fun of this, isn't it? It's going to be an episode long remembered in the bee saga. I hope There's so. got to be a special name for the series, the mini series within the series. This is bee season. If we could get like a poster on all the trees, bee season. Oh, like in like in duck season, wabbit season. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Sorry, took me a second to get the reference. So I just sent you a picture. I'm going to throw this into Instagram so I can share it with all of our listeners. My family gets a nature calendar every year, and we have it up in the kitchen next to the refrigerator. And it was so appropriate because we didn't know this ahead of time. But Rob, the month of March is bee themed on the calendar. So it's got all this beautiful art and flowers with bees. And this is up on the wall next to our china hutch and our refrigerator. So anytime my wife is catches the calendar in her peripheral vision she thinks there's bees on the wall <laughs> it just stuns you for a second well we have three weeks before our bees arrive and i have a lot to do before that i have uh, the date on my calendar on my phone so yes, <clears throat> yes and you're going to be installing my bees because i'm going to be in florida strange right. <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna know where you live <laughs> And I'm going to know where your bees live. Yes, you are. They're better than a guard dog. Beware of bees. Mm. But if I have everything set up the way I want by then, I will know when you install the bees. Ah, uh, yes. Well, we're going to get to that in a minute. Yes. Welcome to this new month. How is March treating you? Well, March is treating me well. I'm about to start working outside again. A little, a little too cool this morning. and I should have been out there this afternoon. But I love sitting outside working instead of sitting inside and working. So since we're still quarantined because of the silly virus, which will be ending soon, but not yet, um, I'm just going to be sitting on my front porch, typing away, enjoying the springtime. Oh, so nice. I do have a laptop, so I can't do a lot of my work outdoors, but I can, if I organize it just right, I can do some of my audio production on my laptop. And I did that for a few hours this afternoon. That was great. Oh, good for you. And I have uh, relatives from Oregon that came to visit us right now, so we're a little extra busy. We were nervous because the weather report was that it was going to rain all week and it was going to be overcast. So we prayed and the Lord answered and we got some sunshine. Been beautiful. So I couldn't be happier. But if we are interrupted in this episode, it's because the family is, you know, laughing and cutting up in the room just on the other side of my wall of where I'm recording. That's okay. We can handle that. Yeah. Good times. But it was lousy weather. I, I, I put my beehive on a, um, a dolly and I rolled it from my front porch through the house to the back porch. That was on, I guess, Sunday. Remember how hot it was on Sunday? Oh, yeah. Like 80, de 80 degrees. Like, where'd this come from? And I told my girls, I said, like, you know, this kind of weather, early spring like this, this is when, you know, thunderstorms and tornadoes happen. And sure enough, it hailed that night. It hailed hard. <laughs> and that was the first time my beehive got wet. Whew. And it got soaked. And then it was cloudy for three days. And so it didn't dry out. It's like, oh, come on. I had, you know, I wanted to do stuff on it. I wanted to get out there and tinker yeah. and tinker and tinker. But it was all wet and nasty. And so I had to wait. I have a pile of uh, firewood outside and with all that rain, I couldn't use my firewood. So to dry it out, mm. I was baking it in the oven for a few hours <laughs> and makes the house smell wonderful. And then you take it out and you burn it. It's I guess great. that would work. Not yeah. an energy efficient thing to do. But <laughs> nope, nope, not at all. <laughs> but the, the electric bill is already lower this time of year. So I figured I would use a few dollars and cents to get my fire and I wanted that. 
We uh, that reminded me of something. Have you seen any other bugs this season? Have you seen anything buzzing around? Yeah, mosquitoes in February. That is the weirdest thing. Yeah, we're getting mosquitoes. What's going on, man? <laughs> I killed two of them the other day. Yes, I had one fly into the house today. And uh, the other thing that keeps creeping up is spiders. Oh, I haven't seen any spiders yet. It, like it's just as soon as the temperature reached 70 degrees. We had a black widow in the garage. Oh, wow. My. A black widow in my son's bedroom. Oh, my, my, my. <laughs> yes. Uh, don't tell anybody. Shh. My wife is not allowed to edit this episode. <laughs> <sighs> oh, my. You're going to hear it. <laughs> well, at least I'll, I'll just skip the intro matter so it's not in the main discussion. I always edit the first few minutes, so I'm going to make sure I got that. And she can take over <laughs> right about now. No, this is not something that you can hide from her. I had some some friends who would come and visit from England and they stay in a friend's house just two doors down from me. I mean, they didn't have screens on their windows. They had no bugs. And here they come to Georgia. And so before they showed up, I'd help my friend. We would go through the closets and under the bed and all everything in the, in the guest room, which was in the basement and try to get rid of any insect. <laughs> it <Yep>. never worked. <laughs> no. <laughs> they were always horrified. <laughs> I want screens on my windows so bad. I want a screened in porch. I want to screen in my house inside of a screen. Oh, yes. That'd be taking it up to the next level. Like at the end of a, a Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Yeah. House yeah. inside the factory. Yeah. So we're going to talk about bees. You ready to get started? I'm totally ready. All right. So to start you off, if you haven't heard our previous episodes about bees, those would be good material to start with, but we're going to get into more that we haven't previously discussed and continue from where we left off. And Rob, you've been working on basically making a smart beehive, which is awesome. I can't wait to hear all about it. And I'm sure our listeners are going to be peaked because we know that you invent things, you craft things. You're kind of like Dick Van Dyke in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, where you just get inspired to work on this old clunker. So you're <laughs> going to rip apart the house to construct a bigger, better car. I identify with that. Your, your house is going to get smaller and leaner while you're taking parts off of the house to beef up your beehive. Yep, I, I that, that could be me. That's how I see it. I, I have done stuff like this forever. Just, oh, hey, I could do X with this thingy. And uh, this thingy will now be in this other thingy over here. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Oh, where's that in the kitchen? This bottle opener can go right here. And then it pours out the honey. <laughs> you have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me, where do you want to begin? Where should you start? Well, I want a beehive, right? And I want bees. I want honey. And I want to be a beekeeper. And that's great and wonderful and fun. But I'm also a nerdy electronics fidgeter. And I want to trick out my beehive. I want it to be monitored. I remember when we were talking about that before, that you envisioned using a camera just to get an idea of where the bees traveled as they were leaving the hive and returning to know like if they knew from memory the honey or sorry, the pollen and the flowers are that way. Yeah, I want to know. And that was just the tip of the iceberg. I want to know if a bee forgets overnight, if they have to find everything anew, or if they just go straight to where they were the day before when they wake up in the morning. Yeah. I did learn that some bees, specifically the Africanized bees, they will fly at night if there's a full moon. Really? I had no, I had no idea. I literally learned that today. I said, what? Really? Wow. So they, they would have the night shift. They must have like the night shift worker bees, and then they have the day shift. Wow. No, no, I think they just keep going. As long as they can see, they fly. Whew. Amazing. Workaholics. Yeah. So, yeah, but see, I have um, not just ideas for tracking bees. I've got like, you know, I'm in the shower this morning where all my great ideas happen. I'm just thinking of what if I could have bees walk through a tube on their way back into the hive and I have a camera system that's using an artificial intelligence looking for 
mites stuck on the bee, and I have a, a little laser, really? a little laser just goes boop, oh, and shoots awesome. the little bug on the bee and just cleans them off like yes. that. I was like, what a cool idea! Another idea I had was like a very tiny camera that is on a track that I can pass up and down between the comb. Now the comb is packed with bees, but if you if you go across the the, the comb and, and zip a camera back and forth, I should be able to take pictures of the comb so I could check. For- what you need mm-hmm. is a worker drone about the size of a bee. You can call, you call it the smart drone. Yes. That is just your spy on the wall. Yes. And you can go anywhere inside of the hive with a little remote control in the house. Well, they have those remote control cockroaches. Oh. They, they literally took, took, took a small computer thing and inserted it into... Uh, they attached it, to, glued it to the back of a cockroach and took over the nervous system. Made a little robot I cockroach. I can't see how this could go wrong. <laughs> you could just put one of those pests into the beehive. <laughs> oh my. Or you could retrofit it. You could take that off of the cockroach and put it on the real bees. <clears throat> yeah. Train them. Or I could make a little robot bee. Or I could just make a system that, you know, goes up and down and back and forth and scans everything. And then when it sees mm-hmm. something that's not supposed to be there, just, you know, shoots out a little nuclear powered laser. Pew! And kills it sweet yeah anyway but that's all that's all pipe dreams yeah it's pipe dreams i have some practical things that i am doing and i and i know i prototyped it it works in prototype and now the question is when i get it attached to my beehive and get all everything going if it'll still work <laughs> so one thing i was thinking about was beside the moisture is you also have to think about the heat yes those extremes do you do you imagine you're gonna have a seasonal version maybe you install the one that can withstand the heat and then another one you take that out and you put in the other thing for the winter or maybe you just take it out during the winter oh no 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 i got it all the things that are outside can handle the weather cool my little computer that i'm doing all the calculating and monitoring is going to be sitting on my kitchen counter fantastic and i connect all i have to do is run run outside to they have these led light strips that are real standard now and they have all these different connectors and things and a four-wire ribbon cable just for low voltage. Is that the kind that are really popular for a YouTuber's home you know, office setup they use? Yes, yeah. and that's exactly why I bought it. Yeah. And yet now I'm cannibalizing it. It's not gonna, I'm not going to have enough parts to do what I want to do initially, but now I'm cannibalizing it. And some of the connectors and that ribbon cable is going to run from my little computer thing through the crack in the door so I can shut the door. Stuff's really thin out to my beehive. I just need two four-wire ribbons, one for the temperature and humidity sensors, which, one of which is inside the hive and one of which is outside, and one of them for the scale. So you're going to weigh the beehive on a regular continual basis? I'm going to be reporting the weight of my beehive to a very high degree of accuracy every hour. Now, I could do it every, so every I, second I, if I, I wanted I, to, but I, it's just too I much ask. data, yes? This sounds fascinating. So maybe like after... The first year or between the seasons, the honey seasons, the harvests, are you going to be able to approximate, you know, how much honey you have based on the weight? Exactly. What is the goal? Exactly. Brilliant. Now, the scales are sensitive enough that temperature variations throughout the day and things like that are going to affect it. But if the bees pack on 80 pounds of honey, 200 pounds of honey, it's kind of obvious. (laughs) Yeah? Yeah. Because your beehive starts to sink into the ground? (laughs) (laughs) No. So what I have is one of my favorite little computers called an Arduino. 
I've used Raspberry Pis and I hated them, but the Arduino is a little microprocessor with some pins that you can connect things to. And you can say pin number one is an input, pin number two is an output, and you can control your world with this little, and it, it, it's only like 10 bucks, and it's maybe as big as your wallet. So I'm familiar only a little bit with these because okay. my sister's fiance back at Christmas wanted one. Okay. And I knew about the Arduinos only through him and I'd heard about Raspberry Pi. So I got him the Raspberry Pi. Uh, are you telling me I got him the wrong one? No, 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 no. If, he, if he's smart enough, he can handle it. Okay. Now he's, he's an engineer. He's pretty smart. Okay. And he's probably familiar with Linux and I'm not. Yes, he is. I wish I was. All my life I wished I was. I just never did anything Linux and you know what I learned I would forget because I wouldn't only use it once every couple of years oh I can do something Linux like uh what was that again I right so and and plus when it comes out of the box it's not like set to American default it's like England oh and so the oh. time's like how do you change the time and how do you do that and so ah. the Arduino is much simpler and to me much more robust interesting it has hardly any memory which is why I asked you for those 16 gigabyte memory cards Right. Because I want to save data on the card and then pull it from the card to my computer when I plug it into my computer. Brilliant. So going back then to the mechanism that is going to weigh the beehive, what do you attach it to? Are you putting it underneath the feet somehow? Um, yeah, I've got these little things that are used in bathroom scales. They, you showed me right before the show. So everybody, it, it picture something that looks like a squared off tab on top of a soda can. Exactly. That's what this thing kind of looks like. And there's a, the, there's a square surrounding, and then in, in the middle is something that's only attached to one side. So it's like a square within a square. Mm -hmm. And if you support the edges of it and you put weight on the top, it only rests on that middle portion, which will then bend downwards. And here's something I literally learned last week. I did not know this was true. I had no idea. This is brand new. It's like, what, really? Different metals... If you put them under tension or under compression, it will change the resistance of the metal. Really? And so by running, ele running electricity through this thing, the resistance will change depending upon how much it's stretching. So if you take a metal bar and, and you bend it, like you know, grab both ends and like bend it toward your chest, flex it. Well, the top part is being stretched, but the bottom part will be being crushed. So you have tension and compression. Mm -hmm. If you were to run electricity along those, the different paths would have different resistances. Now, we're talking a fraction of a percent of an ohm. Right. I'm with you so far. Yeah, not hardly any difference at all. So you need a really sensitive way to measure it. And this is, this is the coolest thing. This is invented in the middle of the 1800s, like 1830 or something like that. Wow. Somebody realized that if you take four different resistors and make a square out of them, or make a diamond out of them, let's picture a diamond where you have four resistors in a square and there's a top and a bottom. Well, if you connect a battery to the top and bottom, like opposite corners, the electricity will run through the resistors from one side of the battery to the other. Simple enough. But they have two paths, the left path and the right path, and each one of those goes through two of the resistors to get to the opposite corner. Well, this is something interesting in the world of electronics called voltage drop. Clearly, from one end of the circuit to the other, like if you attach a 9-volt battery the voltage is going to drop 9 volts as it runs through the circuit. Huh. Well, halfway through the circuit, you're only halfway to the voltage drop. So if you start at the top and you apply 9 volts and you put your fingers on your, 
on your imaginary um, circuit and you're going to trace a diamond pattern with your fingers. They're going to go out and then come back together again at the bottom. Hmm. Okay. That'd be a nine volt drop. But after you only go through one set of resistors to the left and right, the opposite corners there, well, the voltages only drop 4.5 volts. It's halfway down. Right. Okay. Well, if you measure the difference between the two corners, it will be zero volts because they're both sitting at 4.5 volts over ground. The difference is zero as long as all of the resistors are exactly the same. If one of the resistors is a little bit less, well, more electricity is going to flow through that side of the circuit than the other side. And you can measure extremely accurate differences in resistance with what's called a Wheatstone bridge. Oh. And so what you do is you take these four, these four little metal things and you arrange them in a diamond pattern and you apply electricity to two opposite corners and you measure the voltage difference in the middle two corners and you can measure tenths of grams. Wow. <laughs> I mean, you can know if it's like... And it would be able to even measure that kind of difference on... A, but you know, keep in mind, everybody, that the beehive... And something that large, yes, yes. Is a big but wooden box, you know, think like yeah. a wooden coffin for a medium dog. I can give it a bear hug and pick it up. It's not comfortable, it's heavy, it's big, but any heavier and I wouldn't be able to pick it up. You'll be visiting the chiropractor the next day. <laughs> yes, exactly. But That's how heavy it is. I don't have how heavy it is yet because I haven't actually weighed it yet, but it's, it's, it's a big thing. And yet that big thing, I can measure the weight 0.000 something kilograms. That is amazing. I'm going to have very accurate weighing here. And I'm going to save this data once an hour to a micro SD card. I, I'm hoping if I keep on, if I don't get bored with this, because I tend to get bored with projects and kind of like leave them half finished. That's what I've done all my life. But if I don't get bored with this and I really want to proceed, I want to get this on the internet. This is something beyond me. I've never done it. I've read a lot about it. I know kind of how people do it. And yet I know that there's some things in there that are mystical and magical to me and I don't know how to do it. But there is a way to get your Arduino and you can plug it in directly or you can get a Wi-Fi module and you can make a host and a server or something like that. And you can ping the data out to some website or you can use it as its own website or you can have a website pull data from the, the web address that you give your little Arduino unit. And so I just, I just want my data. And right now I'm just it's gonna be manually doing it. I can envision a clever way that you can also make a part of the site that is a blog and the more weight that the bees add to the hive, the more they write posts they've created just with the word buzz, 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 like X number of times for every extra gram that they add to the weight of the hive over a week. That's funny. And if and then if the hive starts to shrink or, you know, they, they start to dwindle, they, they get sick and they're dying and the weight decreases, then the next blog post is significantly smaller. That's interesting. I was just thinking of a, of a, of a graph. Oh, okay. That's, that's, that's just really too. what I want. But I want to graph the weight and the temperature and humidity inside the hive and outside the hive. And here's where a new invention that I made. Um, I, I needed a way to put a temperature humidity sensor inside the hive that the bees wouldn't cover with propolis because they cover everything with propolis. They'll seal any gap. They, and propolis is like tree resin. This stuff is sticky. Yeah. And it, it is hard. You can't clean it off once it's on a piece of plastic. And if I put it in there, they would completely cover the thing. In fact, if a mouse steals away into the hive, the bees will sting it to death. <laughs> but they can't carry it out. 
It's too heavy. Do they cover it in propolis? They will embalm that mouse with propolis. Oh. <laughs> and, and he won't be able to rot because he'll be completely entombed. Dude, mummified. Oh, wow. Yeah, anyway, so your hive will be covered in this. In the, Everything on the inside is going to be covered in propolis within short order as the, your bees start going. But that means they'll seal up the holes in the sensor and it won't work anymore. Hmm. So what I or what I realize is that bees cannot pass through a one eighth inch hole. So is that like the the smallest that the hole needs to get so that they don't pass through it? Um, it's somewhere around a quarter of an inch, and or somewhere it's like you've put quarter inch hardware cloth. They can squeeze through with difficulty. I think. Okay. I don't think they would normally, but I think they can. So one eighth inch, they can't pass through it. And so what I did was I took some canning jars that I bought at the grocery store, you know, ball jars, you know, those things. And yeah. I, I took off the metal ring and I held the metal ring up to some hole saws that I had. And I was trying to decide if I wanted to use a three inch hole saw, which is the outer diameter of the ring or a two and three quarter inch hole saw, which is the outer diameter without the, the wide flange at the bottom, but I didn't know if that would be accurate enough. And then I realized, and I, I didn't have them anyway, I didn't want to spend money on one, but I have a two and a quarter inch hole saw, and that is exactly the inside diameter of the canning lid. You know how they have that, yeah. that ring and then they the have... The canning lid is it, yeah, not attached to yeah. the ring that screws onto a yeah. jar, yeah. Well, that is two and one quarter inches. And so what I did was I drilled a two and one quarter inch hole in the side of the beehive near the top and away from the vent. So about halfway back. And that's going to be the hottest, most moist part of the beehive. And then I took one of these rings and I, I held it up to the, to the beehive and I drilled three holes for three small nails. And I took some wood glue and I put it on the ring and I on the, on the hole and I, I, drilled, I drove these three nails in there. And so now it's nailed and glued in place. And I can slip one of these lids that I have drilled about 30 one eighth inch holes. And then I can put my temperature humidity sensor behind the holes and then put a piece of uh, uh, foam insulation behind that. So now my sensor has the temperature and humidity of the hive. And then it's a piece of insulation on the outside of the insulation. I'll put my other humidity sensor, temperature sensor, and that's measuring the ambient outside temperature. Nice. And it's nice and accessible so that if the bees do close it up, I can take it off and just poke the little holes out. They'll probably close it up within a day or so. Maybe it's be a total pain in the neck, but I'm trying. It's a good experiment. I, I imagine when you're done with this, you're going to have a neon yellow sign by the beehive that <laughs> glows hot and fresh honey. <laughs> when, when it's hot and fresh, you know. Yeah, but it'll, it'll be one of those uh, Frankenstein zzzk, zzzk sort of things. Yes. <laughs> I love it. But once I did that, I realized I had a beetle trap because the small hive beetles, which are a major pest, and I'm sure you will see one because they, they're active flyers and they will find a honey source. But and they'll one. Yeah. yeah, you'll find one. Um, what I figured was that I could drill two and a quarter inch holes in the bottom of my hive and drill some holes in some lids and mount some jars to the bottom of the hive. And if I put a little bit of oil in there, see, the bees will chase the, chase the uh, beetles around. The corner of them, if the bee can't get to them, a guard bee will just sit there and keep the beetle from going anywhere. Well, they'll naturally run into my little cups here through these little holes. Nice. And then die in the oil. Or I could put some ap apple cider vinegar in there. It's a great attractant for these things. Or I could put some rotten fruit in there. There's all sorts of things you can put in there that'll, that'll suck the beetles in, and then they're dead. Death by apple cider vinegar sounds like good revenge. Yeah, I think so. For them intruding anyway. So now I have four clear glass ball jars 
screwed to the bottom of my beehive. <laughs> but also, now that I have a temperature humidity sensor, I can start experimenting with ventilation. If I take off the jar, I have a vent on the bottom of my beehive, which will naturally allow the hot air to rise. So you're saying that you would do that if you wanted more hot air to rise then? No, if I wanted the hot air to leave the hive by rising. Oh, okay. Because gotcha. you think about it, when a bee brings in uh, nectar, it's about 80% water. They have to evaporate it down to about 18% to make honey. Really? Wow. And all that water is evaporating into the hive. So they need air circulation. You'll, you'll see, I'm not sure how it's going to work on these particular hives, but you'll see the three holes that I drilled on the one side there. Mm -hmm. When they start packing on honey, there will be bees on the inside and they're just sitting there fanning. Nice. Well, some of them on one hole will be fo facing outwards and the other hole they'll be facing inwards. That is so smart. They'll be pushing air through the hive. They'll be circulating the air to get rid of the moisture. They are so smart. The moisture can also wick up through the top. In the old Warre design that I had, we, uh, I laid a piece of burlap on the top of the hive and then packed the top of the hive with sawdust. And that was both an insulating blanket and a, a place to absorb moisture. And the moisture would pass through the uh, sawdust and then evaporate, and it would actually passively cool the hive too. Hmm. So, hmm, lots of opportunities. Very interesting. It's cool things happening here. That is really good. Now, you were telling me about the other pests besides the beetles. You had an idea for... Do you have ideas for the moths and for the boromites? It depends on which one we're talking about. Mm -hmm. If we're talking about small hive beetles, uh, I think my little beetle trap is going to work. There's going to be some computer lab in my future and some students in my future where we have a project of doing some sort of a in intelligent searching software that sees a little round thing moving and zaps it or crushes it or something like that. That is going to be so good. This could revolutionize beekeeping. This, this is could. so neat. It could. The Varroa mites are obvious. They're they're about as big as the eye of a bee, and they, they attach generally on the back of the bee, and you can see them. It's like, get off my bee, you little bloodsucker! Well, they can be zapped. There's also some, some people who have an idea. If you put a, um, a certain plastic at the beginning of your hive, it'll cause static electricity and cause the mites to jump off. Oh. Now, I don't know if that's true. I read that a while ago, and I, that's worth experimenting with. There's all sorts of types of traps you can put on the inside. The one thing you can't get rid of easily are the Varroa mites. Varroa destructor. That's their scientific name. Golly. The tracheomites are um, Acarapus woodi. They get in the bee's airways and pierce it and suck their blood from inside the bee lungs. Ooh. Yeah, they're bad. They're vampires. Yeah, they're bad. Man. But think about it. the things we've described so far. The small high beetle, the tracheomites, and the varroa mites. They're insects. Bees are insects. Yeah. How do you get rid of one without killing the other? Hmm. Ah, you can't use a pesticide. Wow. <laughs> what a pain in the neck. That is. Well, hmm. there are some things you can use that are generally be safe, mm -hmm. but you, you can't use them while they're packing honey away because then the chemical gets in the honey and it contaminates the honey. You're not, you can't eat it and you can't sell it. Yeah, it's not like you can just put up a, a one of those systems that will create a very high audible frequency that scares dogs away yeah, or squirrels. from the edge of the yard. Yeah, yeah or squirrels. Do bees and bugs, are they even sensitive to noise like that in the first place? I wouldn't be surprised, but I don't know. Interesting. That, that'd be worth experimenting with. But the, um, a healthy hive with lots of bees and lots of food and nice temperature and humidity control, and if they're, ha if they're happy, they're not going to self-destruct. If they're not happy, they can be taken over by one of these pests. And so the, the secret is really keeping them happy. If they're happy, 
everything probably be will be okay. Even if there's some beetles in there, that's fine. Some mites, that's okay. There's also this thing called a bee louse. It's not really a louse, it's a wingless fly. Ew. And apparently they don't do anything, but you might see a couple of them on your queen or one or, one of, or maybe two of them on one of the workers. I really don't know much about so them. They're more like a pet that you didn't ask for that just shows up one day. Yeah, I don't know what they're doing. Maybe they're licking their eyeballs or jumping out and grabbing some out of their mouth or something, but they're all bee louses. And of course, there's the wax moths, which you learned about. They're nasty. The wax moth larvae make these disgusting, webby, slimy mats inside the beehive, and they will attack hun- uh, honeycomb that's, un- that's just left by itself. Ooh. So you can't, you can't store wax. You can't take a wax frame and just store it. You have to put it in the freezer that kills everything, and then wrap it real tight to keep the moths out. And then, of course, mice like to get into it, and cockroaches like to get into it. So this is a... Um, a high uh, nutritional food source for a lot of things. You gotta be really careful with it. It makes a lot of sense. And there's also a lot of bacterial and fungal and viral diseases that can also affect bees. But again, usually it's if they're too damp or they're too cold or they don't have enough food or something like that. But these are contagious and they will affect them. There's a thing called American fowl brood. Ugh. And it's nasty. I mean, it, it, it is gross and it stinks. There's European fowl brood. Those are both from bacteria. That's not nearly as bad, but it's still gross. There's this thing called chalk brood. You can imagine what that looks like. There's another bacterium. Yuck. There's a virus that causes something called sac brood. Then there's chronic bee paralysis virus. There's acute bee paralysis virus. And then there's a, a protozoan called nosema, oh, nosema apis, uh, which also likes to kill bees. So, wow. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of things that... It's the non-fastidious beekeeper that has the most problems. And it's the industrial scale beekeepers. Because when you pack a lot of bees into a small volume, diseases get spread around easier. A lot that of, makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. so a, a, a backyard beekeeper who's really paying attention. This is something I didn't know when I got into beekeeping. I might have said this in an early episode. I thought you, you get bees, you put them in a hive, and 10 months later, you open up the hive, you get honey. Yeah, no. Yeah, well, I kind of assumed <laughs> that you had to be paying attention Maybe not as much as you would to chickens or rabbits or other kinds of uh, farm animals. But then I got to talking with some beekeepers and they were saying how you had to keep an eye on them. And I was like, well, of course you do. Maybe every week. And oh. they were like, well, you know, I don't necessarily check them that often. So what, what's a, a good regular beekeepers checking in routine? I don't think there is a rule of thumb. At least I haven't never heard of anyone say one. Hmm. Probably do it a couple times a season. They'll open it up, they'll look, they'll check how the queen is laying, they'll check uh, the ratio of drone to brood comb, they will check how much honey is being put away, um, if the cells are being formed properly, and they'll look for things like mice, wasps that get in. It's really cool when a wasp gets in the hive, because wasps, can, they can kill a lot of bees. So bees will swarm it and buzz, and that's all they do is buzz, and as they buzz, they make a hot temperature, and that's enough to kill the wasp. <laughs> that's brilliant baked wasp that's cool Woo. so i have right now my beehive over here on the side of the property and it's not in direct shade given the time of day and the time of year there would be a good deal of shade from the trees around it but a lot of the time where it's completely exposed to direct sunlight should i be concerned about the the position should it be under shade all the time do we want it out in the sun what do you think i don't know the answer because bees are too well, most beekeepers keep their hives in direct sunlight out in an open field on purpose yeah. uh shaded beehives tend to pick up more beetles 
don't know why, but that's just okay. A tendency. I was wondering if it would lead to more of the pests or not. Yeah, but, but or if the moisture was more of a concern too. And the bees like it hot and dry. They they just do. They'll they'll fan their hive to keep it cool. And if too many, if it gets too hot, they'll 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 all pour out of the hive and make a beard. It's called bearding. They'll all hang out outside the hive just in a beard. It's just it's weird. It's a weird beard. But this is what they do if it's if it's uncomfortable inside the hive. <laughs> so good it's like a hammock hanging off of their beehive huh yeah of bees first time i saw it i thought my bees were swarming it's like, no they're gonna all fly away oh what's happening no no rob they're, they're packing in a lot of honey it's moist and it's warm in there and then they don't like it because bees make heat wow that's how they stay alive in the winter time they eat honey and they hum and they, they make heat and too many bees in a beehive and it gets too hot crazy yeah so the title of the um the episode if we keep this title was Beehive biology. We haven't gotten to the biology yet. Well, please do. So I want to spend, spend the next half of this episode talking about the biology of a bee from inside the hive. Not after it starts flying, but inside the hive. There's a lot of really, really interesting things happening here. Now, interestingly, as I was searching, I kept on coming across the Orkin and Terminex websites. Interesting. The pest control companies have a lot of information about bees. Very interesting information. Very good information. But like, what are you guys? Huh. You guys kill insects. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah, you're so, like, hey, you guys, you're killing it on your website here, man. <laughs> that's another way to say it's funny. <laughs> so looking at a bee, there's something very weird about bees. In the animal world, there's two types of animals, the protostomes and the deuterostomes. That is, during embryological development, the protostomes, the mouth forms first. Basically, you have this ball of cells, and then it pinches inwards and makes a hole, and that hole travels all the way to the back, and that's where the anus is. Mm. And so now you have a tube going all the way through this ball of cells. So the protostomes are actually the simpler animals. Deuterostomes are more complex. Yes, we're deuterostomes. Our butt forms first. Yes, this is true. <laughs> but what that means is because it does that, that means that our skin cells and the cells that line our stomach and our intestines and our throat are the same type of cells. Oh, okay. Because our skin pinches inwards and travels through our body and then pops out on the other side. This is like, I thought all animals did that, but bees, oh no. Oh no, oh no, oh no. Now, so I have something I have to learn because this is weird. They pinch in from both sides. But the... The, the two pinches don't connect. And so the outside of a bee is called cuticle. It's like a hard substance, like, you know, like, like a beetle. It's like the shell of a popcorn kernel. Yeah, exactly. And when a bee sheds, because they do molt, as they're growing, they molt, they have to molt all that cuticle inside their bodies. Ooh. Huh. So a, a little tube will form at each end of the molt that used to be in there. Well, that also means that the cuticle means they can't absorb anything. So in the middle of their gut, their mid-gut, that's made of a totally different tissue type, and that's where they do all their absorption. Except for one little gland right before their rectum, or in their rectum, one little gland does a lot of water absorption. What are they absorbing it for? Are they basically rehydrating, or is it... Yeah, it's, it's like um, our kidneys. Our kidneys suck up all the water that's filtering out of them so that we don't dry out and die. There's a lot of water reabsorption in the kidneys. So that's what they're doing. You have to get rid of their waste products, and then you need water to do that. But once it's in the end of the bee, they suck most of the water out, and bee poop is pretty dry. It can be very dry. It can be a little sticky. Yeah, you're going to get pooped on, by the way, if you have bees. You will. Oh, my. In fact, bees will uh, hold it for a long time. And as soon as the temperature gets above 50 degrees, they all fly out and poop and fly back home again. <laughs> okay, then. They have to have their bathroom at just the right temperature. Yes, 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 yes. Because it's too hard to fly when it's that cold. It's too hard to stay warm. 
you'd have to use too much honey, too much energy to fly when it's cold if you're little. They're smarter than that. Oh, they're smart. In fact, they, they can fly about five miles from their hive to find food. Farther than that, but they will fly five miles. But if it takes too much energy to get back, because the weight of the bee is going to double when they pack on pollen and nectar. They can carry their own weight. <laughs> I can't carry my own weight. <laughs> no. Well, what's bizarre is, you know, we don't even know how bees fly. They're so ungainly and their wings are so small. And they fly and then they can double their weight and still fly. Could you imagine doubling the weight of a 747? <laughs> no, no way. They never get insane. that thing off the ground. So bees do that. But if they burn too much energy on the way back, they have to eat some of the, uh, the nectar that's stored in their first stomach. They actually open up a little valve in the back and suck some of it up into the midgut. And then they'll digest that and get more energy. But they'll actually... Ca- Wait, so you're saying there's like a valve on the car and it sucks in some of the external fueling supply and just goes to the gut? Yeah. It would be like like a gasoline truck yeah. has a tap in the gas, the giant gas tank is handling. So if it starts running low on gasoline <laughs> in the main tanks, he'll just tap a little bit from the big tank. That's incredible. Yeah, exactly. But the B will calculate how much it used. And if it's not it's not worth flying that far, it won't fly that far. It'll say, that takes too much energy. I'm going to try to find a a more close source. In fact, I learned a lot this week studying bees. I thought the queen bee was like the main calculator and she did all the decision-making. She doesn't. She exerts an overall control as in pheromones and the pheromones keep the the other girls from laying eggs. The the female bees, most of the bees in the colony, they're female. The, the workers will lay eggs unless the female, unless the queen's hormones or pheromones are blowing around in the hive and that suppresses egg laying. Incredible. Out of curiosity, is there a chance that if you open up your beehive to inspect it for a little while and then you close it back up, that it takes a little while for that pheromone to reproduce? That is one reason why I'm, I've been experimenting with these alternative uh, beekeeping methods. Because the less you have to open up your hive, the less you mess up the temperature, the humidity, and the pheromones. Hmm. And pheromones are really important. I mean, if, if a bee stings you, right before they sting you, that little girl will release a, I'm about to sting someone, sisters, come and kill him with me, pheromone. That's not nice. If you get stung near a beehive, you should step about 10 feet away. Because the other bees will smell that pheromone. <laughs> They're like, hey, something to sting. Yeah, I should and say. And you might get stung more than once. So that's why we have bee swarming behavior. People get attacked by bees. That, that's that pheromone is being released and the bees will just keep on at it. So pheromones are super important. Ooh. But the, uh, the decision-making is being made by all the sisters. They're deciding which bees to feed royal jelly. They're deciding when to cap off the honey. They're deciding how much of this bee stuff to make to feed to the little babies. The queen is ignoring the rest of the bees. Wow. They're tending her. She's not telling anyone what to do. She just said, okay, I got to lay eggs, lay eggs, lay eggs, lay eggs. And when she's brand new, she'll fly and find some drones and mate with eh, maybe 10 or 20 drones over the course of several days. And then she'll have all that sperm stored in her and she, she'll fertilize all these eggs and lay them, lay them, lay them, lay them, lay them. When you say that she flies away to do that, she's not even collecting the drones from the same hive? Oh, no, no, no. She doesn't mate with her, her sons. Oh, okay. There's there's a mystery in the world, and some pe- we haven't figured out why or how, but drones will congregate in specific places year after year after year, and these drones have never been to those places because they're not more than 30 days old, Golly. and they'll go there, and then the queens will fly to those places, and beekeepers around the world have found them, and they, 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 like, 
they spend their hobby is, is watching the drone congregation areas. And sure enough, here comes a queen and she'll mate with several of them and the drone dies afterwards because his insides get ripped out. Um, but <clears throat> As you do. <laughs> they'll fly around in this big flurry of bees, like through a neighborhood or something like that or on the edge of a forest. And What? So I, I want to see this. So one of, my, one of my bucket lists is to find a drone congregation area just to see it and to realize what it is, not just to see it, but say, oh, I know what that is. That would be cool. So here's your queen. You're going to get your queen. Yes. I don't know if she's mated or not. I forgot to ask. Hmm. If she's mated, she doesn't have to fly. If she's not mated, she's, as soon as she escapes her little bee trap, because she's going to be in a special trap that the rest of the bees are not in, she'll be in a, in a cage within a cage. So you dump all your bees out into your, into your hive, and then she'll be in this little box. And on one end of the box will probably be a cork. And it depends on how they do it, but you have to remove the cork. And under the cork is some candy. And the workers will start eating the candy. And it takes them about three days. Do they have a particular preference? Like, are they using Jolly Ranchers? Oh, no, no. It's something they make with, with flour and sugar on a stove. Oh, so it's bee candy. Yeah, it's bee candy. And once they eat that, the queen can get out. But since she's been there for a couple of days, your hive is now filled up with her hormones and her pheromones. I keep saying hormones. Her pheromones and their pheromones. They say, okay, this is now our home. Our queen is here. Our queen has not moved in three days. This is our home. And they will keep her from leaving if they can. But if she has to fly and mate, she will. And she should come back to her, her colony because they're not going anywhere. But if you just dump them all in there, they'd probably just fly away. That's why she's in that special cage and it'll keep her there for a couple of days. Wow. Yeah, okay. we're learning all sorts of stuff. But the, okay, back to the, the bee digestion. We have the mouth, we have the esophagus, we have the crop or the, the, the nectar stomach. And that can swell up enough that you can actually see a fat bee. It might have so much nectar in it. And then the back of that, there's a valve. Now, remember, this is made of cuticle, so it's hard. And that valve can also grind up pollen. So bees eat pollen for protein, I think. And it can grind that up or can let some of the, the nectar through into the midgut where all the absorption and digestion happens. And all sorts of weird critters live there. Protozoans and bacteria and things we don't even know what they are. We might have found their DNA and we might have said, what on earth is that? So some very strange organisms live inside a bee. Wow. Which is one, one of the reasons why pesticides are so critically important to study. Because it might not kill the bee. It might kill something that lives inside the bee. That bee might starve to death over the, over the course of 10 days. Ooh, but wow. it won't kill them. They might say, ah, this is safe for bees. No, we, there's things we don't know yet. And a lot of things we still need to le uh, learn about their biology. All right, so the bee has a mouth, an esophagus, a crop, a grinding valve. The midgut is where the absorption of the digestion takes place. It also has these, these insect things called malpighian tubules, which basically are like the kidneys, sort of. They, they process waste and dump waste into the back end of the bee, the hindgut. They have the ileum, they have a rectum, and in there, there's a gland that sucks the water back in so they don't dehydrate. Cool. Yeah. Now, on the outside of the bee, they have extra glands on their abdomen they make wax oh they okay. actually take sugar from the honey or the the nectar if it's if, if they're eating nectar and they make that into wax now these are all carbon containing compounds wax is just a long a long chain of carbon sugar is a medium chain of carbon and something like gasoline is smaller you know there, there's all if, if you chain carbons together they go from gas to liquid to wax to solid dude so plastic is just a really long chain of carbon. One carbon is methane. It's just a continuum. So what they do is they take the sugar and they elongate the carbon chains and that makes it into 
wax. And there's a little gland there. It makes flakes of wax. And they'll take the wax and chew it up and soften it and use it to make their honeycomb. It takes six pounds of honey to make one pound of wax. So when we're talking about how much honey they make at the end of the year, well, you can actually melt down all the wax, figure out how much wax they made, and realize it was for every pound of wax they made, they burned out six pounds of honey that they might have actually been able to use otherwise. Wow. And in our system, the one I built for you and the one I have here, we're not using wax foundations. We want them to build their own comb. So that's going to take honey. And I don't think it's a net loss, though, because it's part of the normal biology of the bee. Makes sense. I'm not convinced, I'm not convinced that giving them wax foundation with, with cells or without cells is actually good for them. They're supposed to make wax. Yeah, it would be sort of like, I know, I know it's a long, laborious process, but it's almost like helping a butterfly out of the cocoon. Yeah, don't do that. Yeah. yeah. Or have you know, a little chicken out of the shell. Oh, let me help you. No, let the chicken get out of the shell. That's what it's supposed to do. I mean, billions of chickens in this world, they've all made it out of a shell. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so that's how they make wax. How they make honey is really, really fascinating. There's several different ways that they do it, but they'll go to a flower and they'll suck up the nectar and they'll put it in their little bee stomach and then they'll fly back and they will, um, they'll pass it from their stomach to their proboscis and back, back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And every time it goes to their mouth, it dries out a little bit. Or they might pass it to a sister bee and back and forth and back and forth, the sister bee into the gut, into the mouth, into the gut, into the mouth, to another bee, to another bee. And they pass it around as it evaporates. If they have too much and they're bringing in too much nectar, they'll just put it into empty comb. So wait, so is passing it around uh, one way that they get it to evaporate? Yeah, they're deliberately doing it. They're adding some enzymes and they're, they're just trying to evaporate it because it's coming in like 70 to 80% water and they've got to get it down to like 18% water. That's a lot of water. It's true. You're talking about a pound of honey? A pound of honey had five pounds of water and they removed four pounds of water or something, something like that. It, it's a massive amount of water. Wow. And they have to evaporate it. But if they can't, if they have too much, they'll just, they'll just put it into the honeycomb and then fan it with their wings and let it evaporate. It's very similar to the way we make maple syrup. Oh, wow. If you think yeah. about it, we take the sap from a tree, which is basically nectar. High, high water content, not a lot of sugar, and we heat it up and boil it down. It's too bad you can't train bees to make maple syrup. Oh, man. That would they be... already give us honey. That's some... I, I bet. I, well, see, but the thing is the, ma- the sap run for uh, maple trees is when it's really cold, early spring. Oh. But I bet if it happened later, you would have bees swarming it and sucking it up. Oh, that'd be In, Yeah, very interesting question. I cut down a, uh, a tulip poplar once. When it, when it came down, it was still at an angle, and I watched liquid pour out of the area where I cut. I mean, gallons of water came out from the phloem, or I guess from the xylem, and I, was like, and I should have tasted it. I, was, I wasn't thinking correctly, but I should have tasted it to see if it was sweet, because you can make honey out of, out, of, um, out of tulip poplar sap. It's not as sugar dense. It takes more evaporating than maple syrup, but you can still do it. Mm. All right, so here's some numbers. Ready? Yes. 300 bees, three weeks, 55,000 flying miles, Oh, one pound of honey. So if you want to collect 80 pounds, let's say, let's say 100 pounds of honey, that's 5.5 million miles flown by your bees. And here we're worried about being productive every day. <laughs> but a, a bee can't fly that far. They fly... Um, 
about 500 miles and their wings are worn out. So 55,000 miles, that's, um, let's see, 55,000 divided by 500 is 550 divided by five. Um, that, that, that's 110 lives of bees. Ugh. The numbers are insane. Incredible. The numbers are absolutely insane. Especially, I mean, you consider the queen, she might lay 1,500 eggs a day. That's one every 20 seconds. And yet a bee is only going to live about a month. So the bees that you get in three weeks, at the end of May, none of those bees will be alive. They will be completely replaced with new bees. See, that's a little bit sad because I want to visit my hive every now and then and be like, hey, girls, remember me? <laughs> no, none of them are going to recognize me. Nope. And then a month later, they'll be totally new bees. And a month later, they'll be totally new bees. Now, the queen can last five years or more. That's fine. But she's only going to mate once. And at the end of her life, she might start running out of sperm. And that which case, she's not going to be able to fertilize the eggs. And she's going to start producing too many drones. See, the male bees, the drones, they only have half a genome. They're not fertilized, which is why the, the, the worker bees, since they've never mated, they can only lay eggs that turn into drones. They can't, there's no fertilization possible. Intriguing. I had a question about honey uh, before we move on to pollen. What was that? The, it, it just thinking hypothetically, I, I, I'm not trying to work the girls to the bone. They have no bones. But if we wanted honey, and we're not going to necessarily get honey for the first year or so, and then we start to try to get honey, I almost wondered if, thinking long term, would it be helpful to the hive strategically to let them just accrue a lot of honey for a long spell till it's like really weighed down in honey. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Like a lot and then start taking the honey. Yeah. You, we tend to take honey at the end of the season. There are some people that can no, take No, I mean, it, even no. like, even let it last a few years. Oh. Uh, or is that completely unproductive, unhelpful? Oh boy, that's an interesting question. So hypothetically speaking, does the hive make more honey than they even need? Yes, that's how we can harvest it and take it for ourselves. Okay. But that's also, we're also protecting them and keeping the pests and other things like, you know, bears and, and skunks away from eating all that stuff. And I, I need another kind of animal that can keep the skunks away from me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they make more honey or they pack away more honey than they consume. They're going to they're gonna need... 25, 30, 40 pounds of honey to overwinter. So they, they'll, they'll require several frames of honey to eat over the winter to stay warm. But all the drones will be dead. The drones will be kicked out of the hive to die outside sometime in the fall. And a lot of the worker bees will, will die. And some of them will overwinter. Now, the reason they can la live so long is because they're not flying. They're just huddling together and buzzing and humming to keep warm. And then in the springtime, the They'll start raising some babies, trying to get ready for the, the first big honey flow, which this year, I hope it's not too early because we're having... To, yeah, because we won't be yeah, ready. Yeah, we're having such warm temperatures. The hive won't be ready for the first big honey flow. And I was like, no, wait, just wait, just wait, just wait. I don't have my bees yet. Uh, but we'll see. We, um, it's still early in March, so we, maybe we'll get some cooler weather and slow things down a little bit. But I've had... Of my four years of beekeeping, twice we had a really early spring, and it totally messes up everything. So they didn't pack away hardly any honey in the hmm. springtime. In the fall, they started putting on some honey. And here in Georgia, that's our two big honey flows. There's only twice a year. And there's lots of other things. Will, will, like the privet and then the kudzu will bloom in August, and other things will be blooming. They'll, they'll be continually collecting. 
So typically, if there's not enough honey to go around, do you just give them sugar yes. water to get them through all four seasons? Um, we might want to give them sugar water at the beginning when we first put them out. I'm not sure yet, and I'm not sure how to do that with our hives. I might have to invent something new. I already know what to do. I'm just not sure how to attach it to the hive. I'll, I'll make what I made right, with right. my other ones with a, uh, with a mason jar, and you just poke little teeny holes in the lid, fill up with sugar water, and flip it over. And holes are so small, the water won't drip out, but it's, they're, it's big enough that bees will come up and lick the stuff off from the bottom. And so you can feed them that way. I feel like when we do get the bees and we bring them to the hives and I'm doing this myself, <laughs> it's going to be one of the bravest things I've ever done. <laughs> oh, yes. Now, you, um, your son has a bee suit? Not yet, but I am go- I'm prepared to order him okay, one. Okay, because you can use my bee suit. I, I, I do have that here and I intend to be ordering mine oh, as well. Oh, okay, but, but no, you it. feel free to use mine. And might be gloves, but it's mine's only a half suit, yeah. right? So you have to wear long pants and make sure you're like, don't do, remember I had that story where I tucked my pants into my boots thinking the bees and, right. and then the no, bees fell into my boots. Ah, yeah, not, not good. So yeah. All right. So, and that is why Rob doesn't have feet today. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about pollen. Bees collect pollen as they're bumping into flowers. Sometimes they eat the pollen, but they, they generally collect on their hairs and they'll take their legs and they'll sweep the pollen back. They'll mix it in with a little bit of, of um, nectar to make it sticky and then they'll pack it away in these special things on the back of their legs. And you will see this and it's going to be one of the coolest things. In fact, this year, I don't have one. I want to get a microscope because I know you can identify pollen or species of tree based on pollen. Pollen is very distinctive. And you're going to see them flying in with bright yellow pollen with golden pollen with white pollen with green pollen and with lemon green pollen you see all these different colors huh. and they're all from different species of tree or plant and i want to know what they're collecting because I, I i oh that, that would be a cool i don't know do you have a do you have a little uh homeschool or or uh a microscope i don't okay, have I, a I, telescope okay, okay you can't use that I don't know what, um, what magnification is required, but I know pollen identification. And of course, you know, here in Georgia, because we have all these world record pollen counts every year, literally, we set the world record every year. Uh, at least the four years I lived in Rome, wow. the four years I lived in Rome, Georgia, we set the record every year I lived there. And it wasn't by a little bit. It was by a lot. It was insane. But dude, um, the government always has, you know, what's blooming now charts. And so you don't have to look through, you know, 10 million species of plants. You know pretty much in your area, here's a five or 10 things blooming. What's this yellow pollen? Oh, that's maybe dogwood. I don't know if they visit dogwoods. Or it might be this tree or that tree. So that's, that's something I've, I've always wanted to do. But they bring the pollen back and they make this thing called bee bread. It's a, bee it's bread. a pollen nectar food that they feed the baby bees. Sounds better than carrot bread. Oh, you know. Yeah, oh, actually, some people make breads. bee bread, you know, fake bee bread to feed their, like a patty, you know, they'll feed their, their bees. It's got a lot, of po- a lot of protein in it. But that's what they feed nice. the babies after they wean them off of royal jelly. Because every egg, or at, the egg hatches after, I don't know, three days or so, and then the little larva, every one of them gets fed royal jelly for a couple of days. And then only the queens are fed royal jelly the rest of their, their time. The other things, they, they stop feeding royal jelly and they start, stop feeding them this, this bee bread. And that's what the baby bees are raised on. The other thing that bees produce is something called propolis. 
The honey that I had one year had so much propolis in it, it was almost inedible. It tasted gross. Well, you said it was like the glue they used to... to well, what did they use it for? <laughs> they, will, they will coat everything on the inside of their hive with propolis. What is but what is the idea? Like honey's already sticky, and they encapsulate well, everything it's, in the hexagon. It's uh, wax. It's, arm, it's cells, armor coat. So. It's bee armor coat. That's what it is. It's hard. It dries. It's it is it because uh, I was about to ask, is it a sticky trap? Well, it, it's sticky at first, but then it dries real hard, and ah. they just coat everything with it. It's it's literally it's fifty percent tree resin, and they mix because some of the bees will actually collect tree resin, so they collect pollen and nectar and resin from trees. And that's how they make propolis. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Hmm. So these little girls, though, because the boys don't do anything. They just hang out and be bored. But the little girls do all the work. They go from egg to larva to pupa. They hatch. And they'll... Um, they, it takes, I think, 21 days for the worker to hatch, but only 16 for a queen because she's being fed so much. Ooh. So what did the bees do when they first hatch? Uh, because I know that they turn into different kinds of bees. Yes. And, and that's not in the larva stage. And it's like you said, they are all fed the royal jelly at first, which can be the catalyst to turning them into a queen. Yes. So, but what, what else are they doing in those early well, days? Well, the first thing that, that a bee does when she hatches is she cleans out her cell. And then it's ready for another egg to be laid in it. And then they'll spend some time on nurse bee duty. They'll be feeding the larvae. They'll be keeping them warm if they get cold. They're actually the, these things I talked about in another episode, the heater bees that I didn't even know about until I read about them. But a, a heater bee will decouple its wings, so not they can't fly. But it'll it'll get into an empty cell and buzz mm, and produce heat, and it'll keep all the surrounding cells warm. There's not many of those. I don't then, think so. If that's yeah, okay. Um, after that, they will um, they'll go on housekeeping duty. They will um, they'll start making wax and building comb. They'll start storing nectar and pollen. They'll be at the entrance cooling the hive. They'll be warming the hive. They'll be guarding the entrance. They'll be doing garbage duty, taking out the dead bees and throwing them out. They don't start flying till they're about 20 days old. Oh. They only fly for about 10 days. And 20 days, 20 wow. days not from egg laying, but 20 days after hatching. Right. So, you know, 21 days in the comb or in, the, in the, uh, the cell, and then about 30 days. So 50 days from egg to death. Incredible. And they'll spend that last 10 days, they'll fly about 500 miles in total, and they'll collect pollen, and they'll collect nectar, and they'll collect, sometimes, some tree resin. That, my friend, hmm. is the life of a bee. Part of the circle of yes. life. Oh, oh, wait, 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 wait. There's something that the queen does when she first hatches. You know what the queen does when she first hatches? Oh. Oh, 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 yes. But I want to hear it from you. This is, this is like incredibly fun. The drama of the queen and I. She will go and stick her stinger into all of the other queen cells and kill the developing queens. That sounds like royalty. And if she misses one, there'll be a fight to the death. There can be only one, oh. literally. If she doesn't get to all of them, another one hatches out, they'll start battling until only one queen is left alive. There's no peaceful resolution. No, there's not. Only death. They're ruthless cutthroats. But they're amazing. And you're going to have the time yeah. of your life watching Oh, I know things. I am. I'm so looking forward to it. I, I, when I was a kid, I was fascinated with ant farms. I never had one, but I could stare at them for hours that my friends had. And, you know, turn them around, you've you seen, know, check them all, all the you've sides. You've seen those YouTube videos where someone will melt a bunch of cans 
and then pour the molten aluminum down an ant hole. Oh, oh no. dude, they did a massive one in Australia, a big termite thing. I mean, it was, it was huge. It was unbelievable. Okay, just look up. It will be easy to find on YouTube, and you'll be like, no way. Yeah, they're a lot more complicated than you think. All, All right. right. Homework. Incredible. Good stuff. Well, thanks, Rob. You're welcome. And thank you, everybody, for listening to it and uh, joining us on this quest. If you found this episode interesting in any way, you know that Rob has got some good show notes. So consider digging deeper into the topic. You can find the links to the stuff that he discussed in the show notes. That is at the website, as well as with a podcast in your app of choice. The website is nightowl.fm slash equinox slash 47 to get to right to this episode. Be sure to subscribe to the show or share it with your friends and family if they're interested in bees and all the other science subjects. You also should check out Biblical Genetics, which is Rob's other project, and he's got a new video coming down the pike. Right, yep, very soon. So Biblical Genetics is available on the social networks. You can watch the videos and join the discussions in the comments. And if you want to find me, I'm at JCS Darnell on Twitter, or take a listen to my other show, Hi-Fi, which is available at nightowl.fm slash hi-fi. Until next time, goodbye, Rob. Goodbye, Joe. You have been listening to Equinox. Oh, that was good. Man, the bee stuff is a really fun subject. I really thought that was going to be two episodes, but I can't believe we got through. But that was, I, I, I don't know what the audience can think, but I really enjoyed that one. Yeah. Well, I enjoyed learning about the stuff. I enjoyed saying it. I learned some stuff as it was talking. <laughs> Revisiting the Terminex website. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I wasn't online. I was, I was figuring things out. Oh, that's what that means as I was talking. Oh, yeah, yeah. As you do. The scientific method, I guess. I didn't realize. Okay, going back to the moths, you didn't say how to to defend against moths, like how to keep them down. Like, and what can you do once they show up? I don't know the answer. Mm. I think they will not invade a fully functional beehive. Oh, interesting. But I don't know that. So it's old how, comb that they really get into. How how bad have the moths been for you before? I've never had them. Oh, okay. I had a someone back when we lived in Atlanta. Someone gave me a, a a beehive that had some wax in it, and I just set it out outside for a year and didn't do anything with it. Yeah, a bunch of moths got in there and turned all the uh, all the wax nasty. That's the only time I've seen them. <laughs>